with the US economy going into one of the worst recessions since World War II this quarter, and a lot of people with our job, we guess that a lot of you are looking to start new projects right now. That's why we decided to try and help the community by tackling one of the things that we all face when we start a new website, and that is niche selection. So in today's episode, Mark and I are gonna go over eight things that you need to make sure that you don't have in the niches that you selected to make sure they're not a dud so that you are sure that you're setting yourself up for success. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. As I said in the pre-intro, we're going to be talking about niche selection, but we're going to try to be a little bit more advanced than most of the stuff that you might find on other podcasts, on YouTube, etc., and really go into like more real life stuff. So I'm with Mark today, and I'm going to ask him how he's doing in a second. But first of all, I want to tell you that uh, you should be uh, subscribing if you're on YouTube below because we're looking to essentially grow our YouTube channel and get more people in there. So if you don't want to miss any of the episodes that are coming and some other videos, you might have seen my Alpha Investor reviews, Link Whisper reviews this year and a few others, then don't forget to subscribe and click on the notification bell. Drop us a thumb up if you want to see more episodes like that where we talk more about things like niche research, etc. that go back more to the core of the business model. And to add to that, how's it going, Mark? Oh, gosh, it's like uh, all attention just listening to you go through that and it's just released when you go. You like, don't know when it's going, coming, Mark? you know, that's the point. All of the better now that you've asked. Okay, great. Is that, you know, last time you said you'd write some kind of like a, some I kind Googled of Googled smart responses to how are you? And that was the seventh one on the list, I believe. So Amazing. expect some more witty, witty comebacks over the coming but weeks. But now everyone's just gonna Google Another reason to subscribe. <laughs> only, the, only the highest quality content here. Here's the thing, people, people subscribe for the information. So let's go and actually do that part. And I'll let you start actually. Okay. No, actually before we start, you know what? Before we start, I wanna talk about uh, picking a niche for with the intention of selling the site within the maybe a span of like one to four years, three years, let's say, okay, one to three years, and all holding. And I think it's quite different, right? Because some of the points we're gonna talk about, it's like, I think when you're expecting to sell, you don't have to build, you don't have to have the perfect niche. Not as much as if you want to hold the site for the long run, because- Or if you're new. Yeah, exactly, because it's like, Oh yeah, your first site is also usually not the one you prefer, right? It's like um, it's, it's you will want to create something else eventually. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. And I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about is going to be more from the perspective of holding your site. But if you're looking to sell, I think we'll try to highlight that as well because, you know, there is some power plays that can be done in some niches, even if you're not that interested in them, etc. You know, do some burst of work. You want to make some a bunch of cash right now. You need it or something. It can be done. And I think you can cut some corners here into the niche selection sometimes. It's also kind of like the, are you just one person who is building one site and that's all you're going to do? Or do you want to start running multiple sites? Because if it's just you running your site, you're probably going to talk about something you're really passionate about that's close to your heart or you've been doing for, for a while versus looking, okay, what's the most profitable niche I can go to? Like yeah. you're not thinking in quite so much those those terms, and especially if you're writing all the content your, yourself, then that's going to have an impact on things too, I, I guess. 
Yeah, fair enough. So I just wanted to highlight that, and I think we'll try to highlight that for each point we're going to make because the decision is slightly different. And even for us, when we're like, okay, we want to do an affiliate play, it's just going to be two years, and that's a side project versus we want to do this, we want to put our face on this, etc. The approach is going to be quite different, to be honest. So I'll let you start with that with that note. Okay, so the first point is that, and this is a mistake I made like way back at the start of my IM journey, because I like to be a little bit different and, you know, not go go with the flow. I like to, to do things my own way. And for me, the idea of going for a niche, which other people had already built sites in, was like a bit weird. And I, was, I kept thinking to myself, oh, I need to find something that no one's done before because, oh, the, someone's already has a, has a site there. That's it's like bad. Facebook, right? Yeah. That was well, at the time when Facebook was getting big and everyone was like, oh, I want to invent the next Facebook, yeah. Well, I mean, even Facebook, like it wasn't by a long way the first social network. Even like MySpace and Friendster, like, you know, you'd argue before that there were smaller fragmented sites did similar things. They were just, Facebook executed better than MySpace or, or anyone else. And they built a better platform faster. And that's, that's why they won. It's kind of the same in online marketing, right? It's not the fact that you're the first that's good. It's the fact that you do something well. Which, which defines your success. And I think that if, you, if there are no sites in a niche, then you gotta remember this is a marketplace, right? And market forces will, will be at work. Where there's money, where there's profit to be had, entrepreneurs and internet marketers especially, they will seek out and they will find that. So if there's no sites there, then chances are there's not much money there. There's not much traffic. There's... Even if there's a few sites only, I think it's already your right. Like, like if it's only like two or three sites, I don't recommend you even going there. Like, you know, it's like if you want to do affiliate marketing, for example, you need companies that make products and these sites will be around, for example, and so on. So you need an ecosystem, especially if you're not going to create the product, the demand, all of that. You know, you're not one of these companies that comes up with a new product category and everyone's just following this. You need to just implement yourself in the market and you need people to do the heavy lifting because honestly, the affiliate business is the easy business compared to actually developing a product, building an audience and all that stuff. And so if you want to do that, then yeah, you need, I would say, niches with a lot of competitors are better. And to be honest, I've been doing niche research lately. Some people might know why, but, um, and I've been quite surprised. It's like, uh, even in some very broad niches, I find a lot of openings, you know? So for, I give one of the niches that I found openings in, because I'm definitely not going to build a site in this, fitness equipment. It's like, it's not that hard, actually. Like, you can definitely get into that niche and do quite well, provided you pick the right angles, etc. But like a lot of like garage gym sites, etc. are doing quite well. And it's like, people be like, oh, fitness is so big. I, I would never go in there, etc. It's actually not that hard, actually. It's, it's quite doable. And now I just kept the niche. So anything else is on this? No, I don't. Well, yeah, I think having competition is good for another reason in that a lot of the research you're doing with tools like Ahrefs or whatever keyword tool you're using involves to an extent reverse engineering what other sites yeah. are, are doing, how much traffic they get, what keywords they're going for. Uh, and those things are impossible if there's no competition, right? So a big part of what enables you to be successful is having competition that's kind of you know been the pathfinder, done it before you, so you can sort of replicate a little bit of what they're doing in terms of keywords and stuff. You save so much time. Like you let them pay for the mistakes and just you figure out what worked best for them and you can just go and compete on that. And it's like you save so much time and so much money than like being the if you're the first, like you have no idea what's working, what's not working. Especially with now people republishing content, you know? Like that's one thing that people really don't think about. But like on the Ahrefs Content Explorer, you can actually see um, the pages that are republished now. 
And what it does is that you can see which pages your competitors really care about because they keep republishing and updating them because that's kind of what's working now. So not only do I look at the pages that get the most traffic, I, get at the, I look at the pages that get republished the most often and updated the most often, and I can tell exactly where the money is coming in in the website. And it's like, well, I know where I need to focus my effort. So yeah, it's much better to have competition provided you can read into it. It's actually a massive advantage and you let them pay for the mistakes and you can just, um, you can get the best of, of what they did without necessarily copying them, right? I'm not saying copying them, but I'm saying you understand where most of the money comes from in the niche and sometimes it's quite unintuitive. And then it's your job to outproduce them, do a better job, right? Create videos, create like custom graphics, custom all of that, and not necessarily just copy paste exactly what they have or pick their WordPress theme or something like that, which newbies tend to do. Are we done with this? Yeah, I think we can move on to the next one. Okay. It's a little bit similar, actually. It's like, for me, it's like, I'm kind of like splitting the, the world of website into two categories now. I'm splitting, on one end, we have essentially small publishers, like people like us, or even people with like teams of, let's say, up to 100 people, right? Like, so I call them small publishing companies. And on the other end, you have the corporate publishers, the people that come from the magazine industry, et cetera, et cetera. And these people are more and more getting involved into affiliate marketing and websites, et cetera. And we're seeing more and more of these guys into the subs, right? And one of my benchmarks these days to pick a niche is actually to see small publishers do well in that niche, but really kill it, right? Not do okay, but I like to see the top dogs being small publishers and not massive uh, massive companies. So, you know, if, for example, we give these guys as an example, but the dot dash guys, for example, these are like corporate publishers. They, they, it's about.com, they have thousands of employees, etc. It's a massive content machine. It's the new demand media 10 years later, basically. And I would not want to see them on top of whatever niche I'm picking, for example, or people like that. I would rather see an example I had for that. And it's like, they're not doing very well in Google right now, but like I'm thinking of this because it was a good example of a, of a site that does that. It's called iSecureLife.com and these guys do security equipment and it's an affiliate site. They, they haven't done very well in the last updates, but they used to be like really the top of their niche. But like, it gives you an idea of like what a high quality small publisher website looks like. And I would, I would like to see the industry dominated by these kind of people because they're the same kind of people as us, right? So we are able to, it's like realistically, we could get what they get, but like getting to where dot dash, dot dash is, I mean, maybe like one person or two people in the industry will do it, but it's, it's more unlikely than reaching the level that a small publisher is doing. So I like to see these ones, yeah. It's kind of like you're judging your ability to compete based on yeah. something you can actually output, i.e. good, like, this could good be enough me, you know? content compared to them. But if the threshold or the bar is, you know, you have to have a DR90 site with like links from the New York Times and, and all that, because every, everyone on page one for all the big keywords has, you know, loads of authority like that, then, you know, that's it's much harder harder to compete. So having small sites is yeah. massively beneficial in terms of indicating of, as an indicator of your potential. Yeah, usually the way I do that in practice is I'm looking for, I'm setting a minimum threshold of traffic. I'm using Ahrefs traffic. I know Ahrefs traffic is not accurate, guys. It's like, it's just a, a benchmark. And so, for example, for us, that would be like 100,000 visits per month, right? And, you know, Ahrefs, when they say 100,000, the site might get half a million, you know? And I'm like, okay, can I find two to five small publisher sites that get at least these 100,000 traffic per month and rank for, for commercial keywords, et cetera, like doing well. I'm like, okay, these are, I would love to have this site in my portfolio. That would really change the business, et cetera. If I can't find this many, then I'm like, well, that's a pretty good niche. And if I can't, 
then I don't. For us, I said 100,000. If you're a beginner, I would say around 20,000 is about what you're looking at. Again, when HF says 20,000, maybe 100,000 or even 200,000 in real life. So you need to put these things in perspective. But yeah, you need to set your number and look at that. And that's usually how I like doing that. And I like to exclude corporate publishers when I do that research because, yeah, it's just a different world, basically. The next one is, and going back to like commercial subs, is like I really like to spend a lot of time on commercial subs for a niche I'm looking at. And I like to find low DR sites on these commercial, uh, like, again, it's one of these things where I'm like, okay, can I find 10 queries with low DR sites ranking? And like queries where people buy stuff with affiliate queries, etc. And the reason why is because a new site costs money. Usually when we do a new site for us, we hire a full-time writer, Sometimes we have editors, we have also illustration costs, we might do videos, whatever, like there is costs. A new site costs several thousand dollars per month when we add that project to what we do. And, you know, it, it costs you that money until it can make this much money. And so you're losing money every month. And, and even if it doesn't lose a lot over time, if you're unable to, you know, if you go in very competitive niches where it takes three, four, five years to be really competitive, Maybe less. Five years is a bit extreme, to be honest. <laughs> let's just say, let's just say two, three years. It's still a lot of money, especially like if you go competitive niches, you need more links, you need more of that. So you're talking tens of thousands of dollars per month, multiplied by let's say 36 months, quite a lot of money. So the first goal when you start your site is to break even, and I like to see my path to break even when I start a site, and being able to see low authority sites ranking for commercial queries for me is the way to determine my path to break even. So I like to look for some of these, at least like a dozen queries, like commercial queries before I even consider a niche and see like small size doing quite well there as well, even if they don't have a lot of traffic. So not like the previous step, basically. Anything on that? No. That's the next one is if your only way to monetize is Amazon, right? It's like Amazon can work, and if you're in like three, these three percent niches is still okay. It might actually still be the best opportunity in a given niche at three percent. It sucks. It's like half of what it used to be. It might still be the best one. Shows how well they, how good it was before. And people tend to like use these play ads as well to in combination with Amazon. And it's one of these cases where it's like this point is a point that I would consider for a long term play, like a site I want to hold. I would not want to hold a site I can only monetize with Amazon. But I wouldn't mind building, like, let's say the niche is amazing, really low competition and really high upsides. I wouldn't mind doing that for two years and flipping that site, right? But if you're going to have a site that you can only make money with Amazon, we know in the, in the long term it is, it is risky. And it's like for us, we like to see at least a few high-quality affiliate offers. And when I say high-quality, it means good product, good sales pages, good commissions. And so you and need it's very all hard to that. find all three of those yeah, things in a product. It's really hard. It's very rare. That's what I'm saying. This is like it's actually quite difficult. Like finding three offers like that in a given niche is actually quite hard. And like I, there's not that many niches that have that with really good programs, right? And so I like also the like if we were, if we're holding in the long term, I like the option of doing info products, right? So for example, there's an old Thai site that we use an example on on H Pro. That site is mostly an affiliate play right now, but if we wanted to, we could actually make info products on that site and do quite well with that, etc. And I like the idea, we do info products because we're doing this with Atari Hacker as well, etc. And it's something we do. If you're more into physical products, which I think is the other alternative to like specialization for authority sites, basically. Yeah, feel free to do that with uh, physical products. But overall, like if Amazon is the only play, like for me, it's like I want to flip this within 
like a year or two, and then usually you flip this to someone who actually can monetize outside of Amazon. And uh, and that's how it goes, because with all these core updates, with all these Amazon updates, etc., like I would not want to hold something like that. And you know it's a ticking time bomb eventually, even if you can make good money for like two, three years, etc. I'm less of a fan, right? So that side I'm talking about, we'll probably either monetize it better or, or flip it at some point, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I think with this, it really depends on what you want to do. Because like, I know a lot of people are maybe what, listening to this this is the first site they built and like, oh, have I, have, yeah, I, that's fine. Cho- have I chosen the right niche because I can only do Amazon? Well, it all depends on kind of where you are in, in, in your journey. You know, if you are trying to make job replacement income where, you know, a $100,000 sale would be life-changing uh, or would be a big deal. Even then. more, to be honest. Like. Yeah, yeah, well, then absolutely. It's just that when we, at the moment, 10 years into this, when we look at a site, we're really concerned about what's the potential long-term upside from something like yeah. this. The thing is, like, three years of earnings from Amazon can already change your life, right? It's like, even if you get a bit of a tanking at the end, etc., it's like, you can st- it can still, like, replace your job for three years, you can figure something out. It's when also, like, these sites are fine as part of a portfolio versus as a single site, right? I'd feel much more comfortable already having multiple Amazon sites versus one Amazon site, for example. Yeah, so that's another thing. It's like, do you want to go along with one site or do you want to go wide and have, like, multiple sites? There's a lot of people out there who are amazing at putting a site up really fast, doing good keyword research, hiring a writer, building out content and getting a bunch of links and, and getting it to that like four mid four figures, low five figures a month type level. And that's their strength, right? Because uh, they're adding a lot of value at that point. It's a whole other world to take a site like that and start adding your own info products or physical products and you know build an audience, build an email list, do so all of the... All of that stuff. It's just, it's a different set of things you need to do and master. And if you haven't done it before, it it takes time. So you may find that you can add the most value just by starting more sites. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, There are plenty of people that make a lot of money, like really a lot of money doing that. Yeah, but like on a single site, it's a bit risky together with the core updates and the Amazon stuff. Like, you know, especially if you're in different categories on Amazon, you might already be diversifying quite a bit because they change commission rate depending on categories, etc. So, yeah, I would say it's okay. And again, as part of a portfolio, especially if you have like what I would call a rolling portfolio where you just sell, then start a new one, then like if you do that, then it's completely fine. And a lot of people do that. And and you could do that. But if you're looking for a bigger project, then just Amazon is like, eh, not my favorite, to be honest. Next one, I'll let you take it. So the next one is just like, is your niche a fad? Is it going to go away next Tuesday? And you can often tell around like fidget spinners, a a good example, like you would never... Pokemon Go. Pokemon's an interesting one because that's that's (laughs) actually... Pokemon Go, I'm talking like the actual mobile thing. Yeah, I mean, if if you make... I, I guess it's more like, is it a single product website? Is maybe a better way of phrasing this because... I remember way back in the day, one of the first sites I built was around these EPCs, it was, or netbooks as they were called, which was like small micro 10-inch laptops, which came out in 2008, I think it was. And I made a, my first affiliate site was was reviewing these and, and talking about the, these, these little computers because no one, not everyone had laptops back then in the same way that they do now. But I made it around a single product from a single company 
And of course, you know, they're going to come out with new models, but then they'll move on to something oh, else yeah, and yeah. a different different brain, brand of uh, within the company of, of, of products would, would come out. So if you're focused on something which is maybe going to have a shelf life, and this is more true than ever in something technology-based or software-based, which just changes all of the time, then you can kind of restrict yourself somewhat with that. So you need to be, be very careful. It's kind of like there's a bit of luck here because like some things might look like fads but don't end up being something about drones, for example. So like when drones came out, like you could say, oh, it's just a fad. It's kind of like they're playing with their little helicopters, etc. And actually, it's, it's a massive now. It's a great niche to be in, especially if you start at the time where you got started. It's like really, really good time to be in there. So it's like it's hard to tell. It's sometimes, you know, you got to play with your guts. If you really believe this is going to stay, then you might want to take the risk. But you're taking the risk that this just completely falls apart eventually. But if you make it right at the beginning and you take that chance, you have a first mover advantage and you might do really well, you know. So it's kind of a choice to make. The next one is a little bit of a different one, but also tied, which is the trend of your niche is going in the wrong direction. And I think when you say that, people think about seasonality. Seasonality is like, you know, in some months it's doing really well and some months it's not doing so well. So like um, in gardening, for example, it's do, like, you know, in, in the winter it doesn't do so well. But in the summer, it does really well. It kind of like goes up and down. And but up and every down, winter is like that. Every summer is like that. Exactly. Seasonality is annoying on its own terms because it's like if you're not doing well in Google, for example, during your best months, then it kind of kills your year, which is a bit annoying. So it's a bit of a handicap, but it's not... It doesn't, it's not a killer, right? It's like a lot of people are doing really well in gardening right now, especially with these lockdowns, etc. It's really trendy, so it's not ideal. But there's also the overall niche trend. Is your topic going up or down? And uh, an example I have for that is the paleo diet, right? Paleo diet is not a fad. It's like it's something that's been around for a long time now. But if you put it in Google Trends, you'll see that it just goes down slowly. And it's like there's less and less interest towards that diet. And so... You need to be a little bit careful that because sites take several years usually to do quite well, by the time you get there, you might, the market might only be half the size of what you actually you know, saw when you actually decided to get into that market. So check the long-term direction of your niche because that might cost you quite a lot by the time you're actually reaching one of the top positions in that niche, actually. The next one is going to be around your ability to build a credible site. And I think, honestly, I mean, someone's going to prove me wrong and come out and show me an example. But these days, it's really hard to last with a site that you'd, where you just took a random writer and gave them a keyword. They wrote whatever the An hell SEO they want. writer. And then they, you, you bought some links on some whatever service. And then I'm not saying you can't rank. I'm saying it's hard to last, right? These are the kind of sites that get blasted by these core updates, et cetera, et cetera. Even more than even legit sites that also get blasted, by the way. So I'm not saying that, but they tend to, they tend to get blasted more, these kind of sites. And I think that's what Google's going after, really. So if you're unable to you know, build something credible where the audience will at least think that you look legit and would trust the information on your site, so not the default WordPress team, et cetera, and all the right people writing and being able to write in technical terms when your niche is technical, et cetera. I would say I would try to avoid this niche and look at something else. I'm not saying you can't make it. I'm saying you're making it harder and you make it more volatile on yourself. What do you think? There's also a lot of uh, like fringe topics, like some of these alternative holistic health things, which... Uh, yeah gain popularity initially online because they're kind of like counter to mainstream at that point. And then this, there was a point when most health websites on the internet would give you 
like very non-scientific health advice and sometimes pretty dangerous health advice. Part of the reason why Medic update came along in, in 2018 that fixed a lot of that. So that's what the call this are going after as well. You, know? you have to you have to understand that the internet is evolving. People are getting smarter and more and more people with different viewpoints, mainstream or otherwise, are are coming into it. So I think we'll see more of a trend towards accuracy, truth, like more of a trend away conscious. from things like pseudoscience in certain spaces. So if you if you have created a site which you know touches on some of those things, you need to be thinking about how you're going to adapt to that, and you know bringing in someone who really is qualified to create excellent content because more and more people are getting smarter and uh, people are being vocal whenever other people are flat out wrong about things. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's not just about that, right? It's like, let's go back to the fitness example. Like, if you know nothing about fitness and you start getting fitness articles by writers who know nothing and you start putting content out there to sell barbells, for example, like, like for example, barbell cubes are much easier than, let's say, pull-up bars. For, like, pull-up bars... Yeah, the average will buy it. someone who buys a twenty kilo barbell knows a little bit already. It's not the first thing they buy, right? And so, if your content is already crap, like this is going to be really hard to convince these people as well. So it's not, it's not just around the medical stuff, etc. It's also around convincing the right people. And usually, what you will find is that the easier keywords to get started, the one that I'm, the ones that I mentioned earlier in point uh, three or something, a two uh, is that are the more technical keywords because less people write about them. And so as a result, you stand a better chance, and but you will only convert provided you can actually build some credible content with people who know what they're talking about. Like if you're talking about barbells, for example, there's, there's going to be a lot to talk about in terms of materials, etc. and people who want to buy barbells that don't bend, etc. so you want the right alliage in it, all that stuff. And people will care about that stuff. So that's, that's what I'm saying. It's not just around medic stuff, it's around like, the type of content you're creating as well. Yeah, I mean, people are getting people are getting smarter, and they can kind of see through some of these like not fake reviews, but like poor quality reviews, yeah. which which some sites are are outputting. So the expectation for quality and accuracy is is just that much higher these days. Uh, go ahead with the next one. So the next point is uh, we wrote you hate it. Um, that's maybe a bit of an extreme example, but what we mean by that is like you really have to have a, an interest, or you need to quickly develop an interest in whatever topic it is you're creating a, a site about, uh, because you will, in one hundred percent of cases, when you build and grow a website, you go through periods of stagnation, plateau, even decline. It's not just a straight line from zero to hero. It's kind of like up and down. Especially uh, seasonality, that can fuck you up as well. Yeah, for sure. And then we talked about this a lot on the on the podcast, but the the lag between when you create content or build a link and then that starts to kick in and, and you start to see the results of that in terms of traffic or sales is pretty can be pretty significant with uh, with building a website. So Whenever you're going through that process and the numbers aren't going up month over month, because when everything's green and you're 50% up in traffic and you're making good money, it's like it's easy to stay interested in in a project. But it's when you're you know down 15% for the fourth month in a row and you know you've been working just as hard as you you have for the last two years uh, that you can kind of get a bit deflated and, and lose interest. I know from our personal experience running multiple websites in, in different niches, 
it's often those which we're least interested that are the first ones we kind of not give up on, but take energy away from. Let them glide, you know? Yeah. Rather than, you know, even sometimes rather than like profitable ones, because our time's quite valuable and we want to work on interesting, exciting stuff that we, we care about. So if you're choosing a niche, if you're choosing a website, especially if it's the first time when you, you have no idea how long it's going to take to be successful and you're maybe doubting whether this stuff even works or not at all, then it's really important that you pick, pick a topic which you're personally interested in or you can get interested in quite quickly. Like, and, That's and, the thing. It's, like, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing because there's a lot of niches where I was like, whatever. And I really got into it. And it's like, um, I'm quite interested in it now and I don't mind working on it. So... I think you need to ask yourself the question, and that's kind of the importance of doing thorough niche research as well, is that you get to know the niches, and then you get to be like, okay, can I do another 2,000 hours of this or not? And, um, and it's a quite important one, because people who rush niche research are unable to answer that question and jump into things that they then drop later. So I think it's one of my arguments for doing more niche research and spending a lot of time on it, as, as people who have taken tests know. And I think, yeah, it's like you can learn new things. And to be honest, I, I tend to pick up a lot of things I work on. I haven't done all of them yet, but a lot of the things we work on, I'm just, I tend to just get myself interested in it. And, you know, we work with the writers. Like, I actually read the content, ask them questions, and actually get into the topic, et cetera. And I'm able to have a discussion about pretty much every, every niche we're involved in on a fairly technical level. And, and yeah, it's like you need to be able, if you want to have mental sanity, because even if you're making a lot of money, you, but you hate your life and you're working on this site like 10 hours a day, et cetera, you will hate your life. And it's not going to, I mean, sure, if you absolutely want that money, you can do that. But you can do, you can get both, you know, it's possible to get both. And, uh, and I think, yeah, take the time to do niche research on you. I also feel like money is, stops being so much of a motivator yeah, after uh, a certain point, when yeah. a certain amount of basic needs are met. Right. Yep. And then I'm not saying that you, you can't go on and, and make a load more money, but the incentive to the requirement or the need to, to work to survive. The incentive to fuck up your life to do it is much less than, like, you know, before you have a certain amount in your bank, you're willing to do anything to get it. But once you have it, to get it again, you're, you're not willing to do as much. You're just looking to, a, you, a lot of people are willing to slow down in exchange for a much better life because they had to work so hard to get the money in the first place. And so you will get yourself in that phase. And then basically how much you like your niche is, is going to influence where that point is. And the, the, the more you like your niche and the further away that point will be, and hopefully you will never hit it, basically. And that's why you get a lot of people who are making, I'd say, somewhere between four and $8,000 per month. Uh, but they, working, they yeah. built a site which is in maybe in a competitive space or something which is, is quite monetized or maybe a little bit scammy. And they have a business, they're making money off of that, but they don't really care about it. They, they just want the money so that they can go and travel or, you know, have a nice life or, you know, not work so much, which is fine, you know. But I'm saying if you want more than that, you really want to make the big bucks. Then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have a bit of a, a passion for whatever it is you're you're doing to to see you through, uh, regardless of of how motivated you think you are to become a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever. Your interest will yeah, it takes time. Will if it's if, if think, you're relying yeah. purely on money. Yeah. When it's like the 500th article you're editing in an issue, hate like oh my god, it's uh, it's very difficult, and especially for your bills already paid. Like you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah, it's tough. It's like we've been there at some sites. 
<laughs> and that led to content quality drop as well. Even if like people would be like, oh, but you should hire editors, etc. It's not how it works. Like if you don't keep your editors tight and like look at their work as well, etc., you know it's gonna get sloppier and sloppier over time. And eventually your site is still going to shit just a little bit slower and it's gonna cost you a little bit more money to get there. But even you when you have to, an editor in place, your your role is still kind of like chief quality officer. Yeah, even you need to check. Like I'm telling you, you need to like it's like Mark knows it. It's like I walk into <laughs> walk into a call or something. <laughs> it's like more or less there's a clock. Like every six to twelve months, I would just go into any process and just just like say it's all shit, and then we just like have to push quality much higher. And usually it works, right? And everyone's just like magically figures out a way to make it work better. And that's kind of like um, it's kind of your job also as the site owner to like push these boundaries, etc. Because if you don't, your competition will. And even if you keep the same level of quality, actually you need to increase. It's kind of like a content quality and link quality inflation that you need to account for. And you need to keep up with the curve, otherwise you're falling behind even though you're doing the same amount of work, you know? And so, yeah, Mark knows these moments. <laughs> Take the, the next one as well. Uh, so the final point is, we've put down, your competition are 10 times more passionate than you are about the niche or willing to work for kind free. Kind of tied to this, yeah. And yeah, it's, a, it's a bit different. So there are certain niches which have a lot of, I would say like hobbyists or people who, it's, it's quite often in tech, so you get a lot of like in design or computer video games, game reviews. There's loads of people who are just, you know, they have jobs, they make money, they do whatever, but then they just like making game reviews on YouTube or oh, yeah. have, they have game review blogs or things like that. It's and not just that, but there's a whole culture. There's like the memes, etc. Like if you don't get it, like nobody's going to care about your content, you know? Yeah, but these people, they're just so, super passionate about what they're doing. They're part of the community. You know, they get the lingo, they get it, right? And they're doing a lot of this for free. And for you to come in there and just stick down 50 keywords with a, an SEO writer that's written these articles. You know, people aren't just going to buy what you're selling. They're not going to, you're not going to fit in because you're not one of these people. So I think video editing is like another niche, like uh, graphic design. It's hard to beat. Yeah, anything Photoshop, etc. like good luck, you know. I actually mentioned it um, in the Alpha Investor review. I think it's one of the niches they suggested. And I was like, there's no way we go against like, professional designers, etc., that create these amazing tutorials. And like, it's impossible to outsource this. I mean, it's possible, but it's very pricey and actually not that great of a payout for the price you would pay, actually. So yeah, actually, the funny thing is like, um, I, when I was doing my niche research recently, I had four niches in a tech niche. And within the first step of my niche research, I wrote all of them off already, pretty much. Like It's like, it's how complicated it is, because it's not just passionate people on one side. You have passionate people on one side, like that hangout on Reddit, et cetera, and kind of grow their content that way. And you have massive publications on the other side. Like you have like The Verge and you have like CNET, et cetera. And they have even like Photoshop tutorials and stuff like that in there. And Tom Hardware and these kind of guys. And between these two, there's literally very little space. I mean, there's a few keywords you could rank for, like I'm going to give some more because people like when I give examples, but like you could rank for like gaming mouse, for example, like these kind of keywords, etc. And you could still do okay, but even that is quite competitive. But like these kind of like gaming peripherals, etc. Like you can take the more geeky ones, you know, the mini keyboards for PlayStation and stuff like that. Like you could buy that. You could review that and actually get some, I feel money here, but the cost opportunity against another niche is just like, it makes no sense, you know? 
And so I'm not a huge fan. It's possible, but it's um, I think it, it doesn't make sense, especially because also if you go in tech, it changes every year, as you mentioned, for the notebooks, the netbooks. And so as a result, it's like um, all your articles need to be updated for many of them two to three times a year at least. Like I'm thinking of like CPU releases and laptop releases, etc. Like there's no way even one yearly update is good enough. Like if you look at sites like Windows Central, etc., their best laptop type pages get updated every three weeks, you know. So that gives you an idea of what you need to do. And you get the lowest commission rates as well because tech is, is pretty bad. So all of that to say, don't make tech sites. Are we, do you have anything else to add to this? Not to this point, but just overall, I would say that we've made a number of, of points here, but it's worth saying that for everything we've said, there's plenty of exceptions. So there yes. are people starting video editing tech sites, sites yeah. or tech sites or, you know, making millions of dollars in a niche they hate. Uh, there's always an exception if you're willing to work hard enough for it. So don't, I wouldn't be too deflated if we've said one of these things and that that sounds like In you. general, it works that That's, way, but sometimes it doesn't. We're coming at this from the perspective of what's the path of least resistance? What's the optimal site to choose? It doesn't mean you can't pick a site in any of these spaces, which we've we've talked about. So, yeah. Yeah, and one thing I want to remember to as I did that, and one thing I'd like to remind people as well is, if you like this kind of content, don't forget to click on the subscribe button on YouTube if you're there. If you're listening to the audio, go on YouTube and click on the subscribe button. And or give us a like at least, give us a comment. Tell us if you want us to cover more niche-related topics because I know it's a popular one. And we'll thank you for listening and we'll see you next week for another episode. Bye.